Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Office Hours, Episode 8, The Photographers Are In. I'm Ashton Stanishevsky. I'm David Patino. And welcome to the podcast where we talk about all the things that make creatives go, hmm. hmm. Uh, we are the flagship podcast of the holy cow. It's March. You need to get busy. Podcast Network. One month till taxes. One more month till taxes. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Episode 8 is here, and we actually are going to change things up a little bit. Uh, if you listen to us regularly, you know that we end every episode with some shout-outs, um, particularly one to Katie Lantuck of KOPR. She's the producer on our show. And we wanted to invite her on to kind of talk her craft and share a little bit about what she does and obviously school us lesser-known folks on, on the magics of all things marketing. So, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you being on. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Fantastic. Well, so, Katie, you run KOPR. And just give us a little bit of an intro as to what you do and all that good stuff. So, KOPR is short for KO Public Relations. Um, KO is my maiden initials. Um, and also a nod to my women's self-defense class where my nickname was KO for knockout if you didn't take women's self-defense. Um, we do public relations and marketing for growing brands and we just love helping to get more customers through content marketing for our, for our clients. Um, so content marketing entails everything from websites, social media, ebooks, Google ads, um, really anything you need, we can do. Fantastic. And it's one of those where you and I have had the opportunity to talk in the past and we've gone through some of the nuts and bolts of all the stuff that's happening as an industry right now with social marketing and social influence, influencer marketing mm -hmm. becoming a, a larger thing and a growing presence in the toolkit of marketers mm -hmm. for larger brands. Um, and, you know, we've had some pretty, pretty heated discussions on what's happening and, and what the best practices are. So I guess today, you know, we really wanted to bring some of that great conversation into the fold um, where there are a lot of folks out there that listen to our podcast that are trying to understand with this new part or this new tool as part of your, your arsenal, how can you properly use that and, and what does that look like on a campaign level for as far as strategy goes? I think it really depends. I know that's not a great like take notes an answer, but um, if you have a business that you want to market through your Instagram or through your Facebook or whatever your social media is of, of choice is, um, then you should really be thinking about how you're going to do that from start to finish. You're not just going to, if you want to advertise your photography business, you're not only going to post kind of crappy iPhone photos of your kid or laundry pile, you're going to be really thoughtful about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And also the language that you're using to explain your post. The captions are really important and it gives your um, potential customers and current customers a chance to get to know you and be reminded that you're out there doing amazing work. So um, I think it is really important. Absolutely. I mean, I guess, you know, and David, maybe you can kind of chime in here. As, as photographers, I think that the the current play has been this shift from Instagram as like a social network of like, here's stuff of my current happenings and things of that sort to more of a, a branded portfolio. It's almost like your second portfolio. And I think for some artists, it's their primary portfolio. They put their work out there um, and it's that's the only means of which they show that to the world. And I guess from there, you start seeing the shift from some of these really, really highly curated feeds mm -hmm. and how that attracts brands and other other work, more or less. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, that um, up until January of last year, 2018, my feed was uh, tacos and my dog and, you know what I mean, like a regular person. And, and mm -hmm. I did the flip and I went to straight portfolio. Now, what I can't do, and I can't get past this, is the 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 people who use it as a singular primary portfolio who run the seasonal color 
you know what I mean? Like it looks so curated, so beautiful, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. like that only works if you're looking at Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if, if I went to somebody's website and all they had was like pink-ish pictures, I would question them as a photographer, I think. Right. But, it, but Instagram has made it like totally acceptable to be like, I only take pictures in pink or mm -hmm. with pink hues in them. It's really kind of interesting like what it's done as a, you know, as a whole, more so than, than uh, Twitter or anything else because it is so visual. Like, I mean, I don't even read half the captions on Instagram. I'm just looking mm. strictly at the photos. And mm -hmm. I don't know. What are your t what's your take on that? I think it's interesting because from where I sit, I'm creating content for people on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, usually. Um, sometimes we talk about Pinterest if it makes sense for the brand. But usually we're talking about the big three and the way photos are consumed on Instagram versus the way they're consumed on Facebook are very different. And I think one of the really important things that you should think about when you are creating content is who is your audience and where are they consuming the content? If you're seeing more engagement on one platform versus the other, maybe you should super curate your Instagram and only post pink pictures if that's what's working. <laughs> but I do think that it would be an interesting line to walk as a photographer because obviously not every client's going to want pink pictures. So you should also have, you know, your own website where you have a strong portfolio with all the variety that you can provide. So it just kind of depends. Well, and Katie, I guess I'm interested to know, like, as you know, you're working with these brands and you're trying to create this this presence for them on the big three, more or less. Let's just call mm -hmm. that as for the, the sake of the example. What is the what's the bigger play amongst the strategy component? I guess that's the, these are the things that I always kind of get really interested about. It's like not just one piece of content, but it's the cohesive set mm -hmm. and how they all interplay with each other. It, it's the idea that, you know, your social strategy might use the, the big three, but they all dovetail on each other to build a larger brand. And in mm -hmm. terms of what that, almost like the persona of that brand, what that brand looks like feels like takes on personality wise mm -hmm. walk us through some of the finer bits of like diving the deep dive and how you mine for that mm -hmm. and how that how that takes shape for each platform so i'm very into personality tests as like a human being um and i really love applying that to brands so i like to think you know is this particular brand really outgoing are they super friendly are they chatty or are they more reserved and thoughtful and more curated. So going through that strategy of what is the brand voice, what do they sound like, and if they were a person, how would they interact on Twitter and how would they interact on Instagram and then applying that throughout. So if you have a really fun, chatty brand, then you have a more like peppy um, captions and then they're also commenting and interacting on other people's posts, which I think is super important no matter what the personality of your brand is. But the key is keeping that voice consistent, whether it's in your own captions, in your comments, in the emojis that you use, the stories that you post. So that's why I focus so much on the personality of the brand, because once you know that, it's really easy. You know what they would say, what you would say as a brand, no matter what the platform. And then you're making platform-specific actions. How often does the the function follow the form versus form follow the function? So like, let's say you have a visual style already determined. Mm -hmm. How does that trans, like, is there is there a way that that can translate into a, like a voice with the folks that follow your brand? Or is it very much where you have to set up the voice before you can set up the visual? No, I've worked with both brands that are starting from absolute scratch. Like I'm working now with a nonprofit in LA and they literally launched on Friday. And so... We met a month ago and started talking like, okay, what's what's the energy level of this brand? Who are we talking to? What's the mood around it? I mean, it's a nonprofit for kids coming out of foster care and giving them the professional and personal development they need to be successful later in life. So while it's extremely hopeful, there's a lot that comes with that. So it's it's fun, but it's not cheesy. So that's one example where you start absolutely from scratch. So there, we're able to have a lot more control with these are the photos we want to start with and use throughout, and this is the voice. And then last year I worked with a brand that's been around since the 80s, and I came in and was like, okay, this is your voice, whether you know it or not, and we're going to make that consistent because they were a chili brand out of um, Knoxville, Tennessee, and they're very 
hometown, very friendly, but certainly very professional and like it's food. So you don't want to be like, I don't know. There are certain things you don't want to be when you're talking about food. So we were able to kind of hone in an existing brand and really develop that voice and give them the tools to post consistent content no matter who's posting that content. So if I'm writing the content or if their other marketing people are, it can still seem like the same brand is behind it. I guess this is like super like this is super important as from the photographer perspective, you know, it's like when you come into a meeting, you, you're given a, a, a creative, like creative brief, you have the guidelines of the brand, the voice of the brand. And most times there's a style guide, you know, it kind of it stipulates how images should look, the look and the feel and the way that we light things. And so I, I can totally understand because at that point, you know, you're not the only person that's ever going to create content for a, a brand or a company. And so there has to be a, a, a kind of guideline to follow. Mm -hmm. David, what do you think? I mean, like, I know that, I, you know, you do some, you do a lot of work with larger brands and where you've had to more or less reinvent the wheel and somewhere you're kind yeah. of following and tracing along those same lines. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of like social media photography where like I get hired to like shoot next month's posts, you know, like, and, and a lot of that is, it's already been set in stone, obviously like mm -hmm. that, that, that guideline has already been set. Um, by somebody, usually the PR firm or the agency involved. But I always find it interesting, like you were just saying, like, you, you know, there was this brand that was been around for a while. Maybe they already had social, I'm guessing. They were trying to manage it themselves prior mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. Like, and then you come in and you set, you set a tone. Mm -hmm. You know, you, like you literally say like, okay, from here on out, we're going to talk like this, everybody. What do you do with everything prior to that? Because I know a lot of people that got Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts years ago because they wanted their name or whatever and they used it a few times and they posted a couple of quirky little memes and and now maybe they're getting serious with their business and so they're using it for real i mean do you do you go back and and taylor swift the whole you know first five years and get rid of it or do you just let it be and kind of ease into the new voice what what what's your take on that i think nine times out of ten i would say to leave it because i think it's fun to see that evolution of people growing and changing and improving but in the unlikely event that you were super mean or very off-brand and inappropriate, like, right. for sure, delete it. I think it's, I mean, from my perspective, the, where my experience has kind of shown me, it's always fun because you, you get you get engaged by a larger client or a larger company and you immediately think, oh, man, I want to put my thumbprint on this and you want to try something new and daring and exciting. And I think that's what as artists or as creatives, that's what we all want to do. We all want to kind of put our spin or our style on the iconic brands and the things that we want to work for. But realistically, you know, there there is that voice, that persona you have to adhere to because mm -hmm. there is, like, especially with you, ha we have larger brands that aren't as established or that are established. You have equity in those names, you know, and you can't you can't forget it all. You can't be you can't Taylor Swift it all, as David would say. Mm -hmm. um, you have to kind of work within the lines and, and, and learn to color inside them with your own shades. Mm -hmm. I guess working from there, I mean, how often do you see content creators like, like us that, that have, and this is probably where I'm going to get called out, <laughs> where we don't have, or we're, we might not be as cohesive as we need to be to push our brands forward. I think an interesting thing that I've seen in photographers especially is when you post what you want to be doing, that's what helps push your business forward. So I had a friend who was just starting out in photography and she shot anything anyone hired her to, but she really wanted to shoot super high-end weddings. And that's literally all she posted. And then within a sh very short amount of time, that's all she got hired for because people who were looking her up or finding her through hashtags, they were like, oh, that's what she does. No one was calling her for a maternity shoot anymore because she does these massive weddings. So I think that's one important thing to keep in mind. It's like if you want to do more cars or commercial or if you want to get into something, you start proving that you can do it and act like you do, and then people will hire you to do it. <laughs> it's crazy because I remember like this was years ago. One day I was watching this uh, video of a guy online, and he was talking about this shot that he had done. He was like, oh, yeah, just... I just happened to be in the studio and a guy showed up with this really nice bottle of whatever. And so we shot it. And I had this moment of like, wait, you weren't hired to take that picture. You just messed around and made that picture and then put it up on social and on your website. And, 
and I had this moment of like, oh my God, you don't, it doesn't have to be a paid job to go on your website. But I was, mm-hmm. you know, early on, I was under this influence, self-imposed influence that what you show is what you've done, you know, what you've been hired to do. It took me a long time, years to figure out like, oh my God, I could just take pictures and post them mm-hmm. of what I want to be doing. And that will send me in the right direction. It's very much the fake until you make it kind of mindset. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. it's like you, we're all just kind of doing it until we get to the big stage. But to, to a whole idea of like the work begets more work. But I mean, like to the same hand of that other opposite end of that, that, that spectrum is how many jobs in a year do, do you shoot or how many things do you do in your, your creative niche where like they never see the light of day? Mm-hmm. All of them. 92% of them. It's true though. No, I, I, I say this all the time to people. People are always like, I don't want to do that job. I don't want to do that job. And I'm like, okay, but well, you still have to pay your rent. You still have to eat. You know what I mean? And so like, I still shoot a lot of jobs that I just don't show anybody because mm-hmm. they're not what I want to be doing or whatever, you know? And Or one of my big things is like, if you are shooting that kind of job, then maybe at the very end of that shoot, you can wiggle in a shot that kind of fits you more, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that's the one that I show. Because I don't have to show the one that ends up in the advertisement. You know, I can show something else from that i think that's really important to remember is that like you can build your well that's what you're doing you're building your following you know what i mean and so you can sculpt it to be whatever you want at that point while we're on the 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 stream of this you know fake it till you make it work but gets more work katie walk us through like i guess if if from your perspective let's say because you know you've noticed that there are a lot of photographers that are doing x and they want to do y so Mm -hmm. put more of y out to the world but then how do you maximize the reach for things like the y right Mm -hmm. so you start putting those things out there into the world you start making those widgets you start trying to attract the work that you want to get but then how do you get the most mileage out of those things what is what's the strat like walk us through a strategy that that any any one of the artists or creatives out there could basically say okay i understand the work that i want to do let me create that Mm-hmm. But then let me make sure that I give it the best shot of being seen. Yeah. What's the way that we can optimize that? And and I know it's it's more than just throw it on your Insta with with hashtags. There's got to like I know there's more to it. And, and clearly I don't know it. But <laughs> walk us through some of those strategy and some of the the tips and tricks that you know of. So say you wanted to get into like pet photography. So you obviously take some pet photos. You could even add in some different brands that are pet related and then tag those brands follow those brands interact with them also because if you think about it the, there are humans managing all of those accounts and everyone just needs content at the end of the day and so if you're able to provide value especially if it's photos to those people that is huge and they will appreciate that greatly and i'm of the opinion that it's more abundance than scarcity. So if you, you know, put it out there, then I think eventually people will notice and appreciate it with their dollars. So I think interacting on social and then promoting it in ways that aren't just on social. So if people are scrolling their Instagram, for example, only 6% of your followers will just organically see your post. So if you have money to put behind ads, I would do that. But very strategically, don't just like throw up. Well, this is a good, so right now I know that Instagram had opened recently, had opened the the ability for people to put money behind Mm -hmm. each of their posts. You can, if you're a business, if you have a business entity set up on Instagram, you can throw as little as five bucks or even a dollar behind Mm -hmm. your pictures to get them in front of people. And when you go through that process, there are options that you can choose. It's like you can have Instagram have their algorithm figure out the people that they that it would reach out to that are similar to the people you follow. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could also set up your own parameters. So I guess, is it one of those where diving deep into those those types of metrics are are important or helpful? I would guess, yes. I know more about the behind the scenes of Google ads than I do the Instagram ads specifically. But what I've learned in Google is... It is best for you to handpick your audience because at least on Google, they prioritize just getting it out the door as fast as possible and spending your ad spend quickly. So I imagine that it's similar on Instagram. So the more control that you have over who it's going to, the better. So if you know, like say you're trying to reach a certain, I don't know, audience in a certain location, I would want to have control over actually moving those dials. Agreed. I think that the algorithm works, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. we know, but we don't know what it is. 
and they will never share it with you. So, you know, I think you're right in that having a little bit of a hand in it up front is, you know, just feels better, I think. At least, at least if you mess it up, you know why you're messing it up. You, you picked yeah. it. And it's not some question at the end of the day that's... Right. And if it doesn't work, then you know what to change because you know what you did. Exactly. So, so here's a question for you. I pick up followers on a weekly, daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. They're all photographers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's great. I love that. But like, no photographer is ever going to hire me. Right. You just touched on it or when you first started talking. You said like, tag those brands. Mm-hmm. Like that you want to work for hit you know hit up those brands and interact with those brands is it true to say that like they are watching and they are paying attention and they are looking at what you're doing and how you're tagging them and interacting with them and i mean is that a viable option for gaining clientele in this day and age like could i just be i mean i've, I've heard the the stories but like could you just be on twitter or instagram and like with enough interaction call notice to yourself and possibly gain work out of that I think it's definitely possible, especially if you are providing value to them. And it's probably not just going to be on Instagram. It's going to be having them on LinkedIn, reaching out an email. I mean, if they're in town going to an event that they're at or networking, you know, kind of the old school tactics. But I, I don't know. In the influencer work that we've done, it's so helpful to just realize that everyone's just a human trying to do their job. And we're all just kind of in the same thing, just on different sides of the fence. Sure. And I think, I don't know, I think sometimes with brands, they're probably inundated with a lot of people who just want free stuff. So they may initially be like, who's this person? Like, what's going on? But I think if you can show that like, no, I actually do know what I'm doing and I'm extremely talented and look at all these things that I've done, then I think they're going to be more open. I know guys who used to shoot spec. They would they would take the Glenfiddich bottle and they would shoot it and then they would send it to Glenfiddich and go, look what I did for you. I mean, this mm-hmm. is like, and they would literally send it, you know, to the marketing department. And I'm sure that they were inundated with mail there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, this has to be on a whole new level. Like, right. Because I can't tell you how many bottles uh, or pictures of bottles I see go online that, you know, they, I know they weren't hired to shoot them, but like, there's thousands like per day of, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure Absolute Vodka is just inundated with Absolute Vodka. <laughs> Like, how do you set yourself apart in that kind of atmosphere? That's a good question. I want to believe yes. I think (laughs) there's... Yes, because there's always room for excellence. If you continue to produce good content, it may not be absolute that picks you up, but Grey Goose might see it. Sure, it'll be easier with the boutique-er brands. Right, of course. (laughs) I would imagine. Well, and I have to think there's, you know, a certain element of, you know, I think today, Katie, tell me if I'm wrong or not, but there's a certain element of using the tools that are at your disposal, like things Mm -hmm. like Google AdSense and, and, you know, writing good web copy that has strong SEO, like the crawlers can get through it to help bring people to your work. Mm -hmm. I I think think that, that, you know, there are there are methods in which you can if you can target the right audience, you know, with your with your dollar with your ad spend dollars, mm-hmm. then you can kind of weed out the tire kickers and get maybe a little bit closer, you know. And so to David's point, there's you know the if there is a million Glenfiddich or Glenfiddich, which one did you pick, Glenfiddich? I don't know. I'm gonna drink scotch. There, if there are a million Glenfiddich pictures coming inundated to that that marketing department, if you can target those people. Um, based on, you know, the things that they search on and the audience numbers and things like that, then you might have a fighting chance of getting in the door mm-hmm. and having them, their eyeballs land on your stuff. How important are analytics? Like I, actually looking at the numbers. If you're, if you're a guy like me who doesn't have a girl like you <laughs> on his side, is, should I be looking at the numbers? For sure, yes. I think you at minimum need to know who is looking at your stuff? Is it all photographers? Maybe you need to teach some workshops and not try to shoot so many commercials. Like, I don't know. But if that's who, if that's who's following you and consuming your content, maybe you find different business avenue or like revenue streams. Obviously, I could redo the way, I could rethink the way that I'm posting and stuff. But like, there might be like openings that show up 
opportunities that you weren't aware of. Let's put it that way. You know, like I, right. I I'm trying to right. get X to follow me, and instead I'm getting a bunch of Y to follow me. Like, well, why not? Why not market to Y then? I think a lot of people yeah. are they close the door on it so fast because it's not what they thought they wanted. But you know, that's that's an interesting point right. to keep an open mind. <laughs> well, and if you look at your analytics, you can see when people are interacting with your posts. Maybe you posted something that was really amazing, but you posted it when no one was online. And if you never look at your analytics, you would never know that. You would just think, well, maybe that photo was really crappy, but like, no, everyone was asleep right. at 2 a.m. And then there's other things that you can look at. Like if you want to get more traffic to your website, you can dig in and see what's sending people to your website and ideally make more content that's like that, that will also send people to your website. So I think analytics are a huge piece that people often forget about. And they're just like, oh, I just got to take all these photos and write all these captions. And then they never follow up to see what's actually working. I think an interesting angle of this is, you know, with influencer marketing becoming a slightly bigger piece of the marketing pie, how as creatives or as content creators, you can use those metrics and measurements to better sell what you're what you're selling. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, when a brand wants to engage you or where a company wants to engage you, you can say, okay, well, you know, if the, if social is a component of that strategy, you know, I, I bring these people to the table that will follow that work. Mm -hmm. And this is the type of engagement that, that I can pull in or, you know, that, that content can pull in. Cause right. I think like some people, especially on the photographer game, like I, I talk to so many photographers are like, oh man, I just want to up my social game. I want to get a million followers and I don't think that it's always recognized that it's not pure follow count all the time that like sometimes you want pure follow count. Sure. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what they fail to see is that from a marketing perspective, what's more valuable is a higher engagement rate, right? Absolutely. So like if you have 50,000 followers, which is far less than a million, but mm -hmm. your engagement rate is up through the roof, mm -hmm. then that's a far better spend of the money. Yeah. You know, because then that that spend goes a little bit further at engaging the audience, the end person that you're trying to reach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this whole concept around micro-influencers. So people who have less than even 10,000 followers, the theory is that they have a better relationship with their followers because they're still actually responding. If you have 3 million followers and 8 thousand comments a photo you can't keep up with all of that but if you have a smaller follow count then you can interact and people feel like they actually know you and you know them so we're seeing that those brands that interact with the more micro influencers it's a better engagement a better you know sales rate and all those things so it's definitely not all about getting a million followers so i guess if you're if if you're in the chair of me and David, you're the photographer and you're trying to attract the work from agencies and big clients, you want those folks to kind of see your stuff. You know, it, it, it's one of those where if you want to really help your chances, up your engagement rate. Mm -hmm. You know, when people like, w let's say, you know, to David's example, you know, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of followers on the Y. He's try trying to pull in X followers, but he gets Y followers. Well, engage with the Y followers mm -hmm. and that will more or less push you, propel you into a stronger light for engaging that ex client. So they, mm -hmm. when they pull them, it's like, oh, well, we found this guy and, you know, his work is phenomenal and he's got a credible engagement rate. So we know that the work will go far. And knowing those numbers, being able to talk about your engagement rate, like marketers will be like, oh, what? <laughs> you look at your numbers? Awesome. How often, I guess, you know, I guess with this being a relatively new part of of the marketing toolkit, I mean, how established are the measurement tools for things like that? Are they are they things that, you know, regular Joe Schmoes like me and David could go find and use to our advantage? Absolutely. I mean, there's a bunch of tools that you can subscribe and pay for, but there's also pretty good analytics in Instagram, in Facebook, and in Twitter themselves. So you don't have to pay for anything. And if you have a business account, you just click on the insights and you can look at the breakdown of your followers. Are they more male, more female? What city are they located in? What time are they looking at content on a Tuesday? You can get really nitty gritty about when they're there, who they are. And then you can also look at 
your engagement rate per photo. And then you can do also all of this on Facebook as well. Super easy. So we've talked a little bit about if you're the photographer, how you can kind of use some of these tools, or if you're the creative, how you can use some of these tools to kind of better your presence. But let's say, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say you're the you're the client, you're that brand. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, we have a, in our listener base, we have a handful of folks that represent brands or that work in the marketing departments of those brands. And so I guess when you're looking at, you have an established brand, you're trying to increase your reach and your engagement. Like what are, what are the ways that they can use those tools as part of a bigger strategy, whether it be visually or through voice mm-hmm. to improve their, their position? It's a process that starts in just the planning of the content. So when you create your editorial calendar and you build out your posts around that and the photos that go along with it, and then everything goes out in the month. And then ideally at the end of the month, you're looking back before you plan the next month's content, you're looking back to see what worked, what didn't, what you can learn from what didn't or what did work, and then how you can apply that to see if that's true in March as well, or if that was a February thing, it's always a trial and error and improving and, and growing. And I think that's such a huge piece to actually look back and learn and then make it better for the next month. So I guess like a, a common thing that, uh, you know, I've worked with a couple of restaurant brands, um, big and small. And I think for some of the smaller ones, you know, where they want to try to stretch they want to have great content or good looking content, but they, they want to emulate something from a larger brand. So it's mm-hmm. maybe, it might be tabletops or like tabletop top downs type type photography of food and things like that. I guess, is there any merit to having the, the, the same look and aesthetic with that? I mean, cause I think food being the example, there are so many images that we see that look pretty, pretty identical, mm-hmm. but do, is there a merit to that? So like, let's say you're a brand, a food brand, a restaurant and you, want to hire a photographer to kind of create some of that content. Um, what's the, what's the win in creating content that looks similar or is it, is it, is the win not necessarily in the content, like the way it's created, but in how you deploy it? I think on one side, it is interesting to try to keep up with trends and do flat lays and tabletops and all the things that are just so everywhere. But again, if that doesn't work and doesn't resonate with your audience and they scroll right on past it, then don't do it anymore. I think it's worth it to try. But if it if it doesn't work with your audience and you find that in your analytics or when you're creating the content and you're like, that's not our brand, like that's not our personality, that's not who we are, then I wouldn't do it. I would at minimum stick to who you are as a brand and then as the photographer creating that content, I would try to do things that are, you know, modern and keeping up with the trends. But if it doesn't work for that specific brand or that audience, then I would just not do it. Are there brands and or uh, companies that you ever meet that you say, you don't need to worry about social media? Or is it for everybody at this point? That's a great question. I've got many more. I I mean, I think about big brands. Like, does Coca-Cola really need an Instagram? Does Land Rover really need an Instagram? Like, I'll, I'll throw one out for you. I'll give you a perfect example. I was on a shoot for a uh, health econ- healthcare economics company the other day. Very small boutique. Does very well, though. Was doing a bunch of headshots. And we were talking about social. And they were asking me about mine. And I, I said to them, do you guys have a Twitter account or a and they were like, eh, not really. And, you know, and I was like, LinkedIn, anything? And they were like, well, nah, we should do more. But And I was like, wow, what's it like to not have to worry about that? To not like have to factor into your week like, well, we really have to hit Twitter so we get the... I, I mean, that was the, one of the only times I had ever heard that. And maybe it's just because who I surround myself with. But like you as the, as the one in charge, do you ever just look at somebody and go like, you don't need to worry about that? Yeah, honestly. Um I talked to this one person that was really stressed out about their Pinterest page. And I I want to say it was like a dental office. <laughs> and I was like, you're you're really good. Just mark that off the list. Do not worry. Well, that's interesting, though, because I think that when every social network comes out, mm-hmm. there's, there's a this, pressure. 
yeah, there's this urge to go like, go claim the name, go squat on it, you know, mm -hmm. and then, okay, well, you have it. So you should probably make content for it. But then if you don't give it enough attention, the content is just crud. It's not very good. Yeah. And so are you doing a disservice to your brand by like putting out, like doing a poor effort on putting out content for a portal that you don't really invest in? Mm -hmm. I'll give you the perfect example. The daycare that my daughter goes to, they have an Instagram and they have a Facebook, but they haven't asked the parents for permission to post the photos. So they put an emoji on the kids' faces. So they look like oh, little prisoners. No. It's terrible. I just want them to delete it. Oh, no. And it's so cringy. <laughs> so that's a perfect example. If you're not going to post good content, shut it down. There's a lot of shoots that I do where I legally can't show what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm on an embargo for sometimes upwards of six to eight months. But we still shoot. I still shoot behind the scenes Instagram stories because, and this is what I do. I use my Instagram feed as my portfolio-ish type thing. I use my stories as like, here's what I'm up to on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. But I do a lot of like, I'm just going to put my thumb right here in the screen and take the picture and block everything I can't show and <laughs> show everything I can show. And I... Personally, me, I know I try to do it in a funny and quirky way, not just in a I'm covering this up kind of way. <laughs> but I have a bunch of friends who are product photographers, and most of their uh, Instagram stories are like just big poo emojis over what they can't show. <laughs> and then a bunch of like lights and stuff. Now, I think it's funny, and I, because I know what's happening, yeah. right? Because I'm in the industry, but like as a client or an outsider, Am I just really messing with them? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess that puts the, because, you know, for photographers, we have, we have embargoes. You know, you, if you ever have like big projects in the works, you'll have a three month content dry spell where like you're in the trenches making widgets that won't see the light of day for another six months to a year. Yeah. And so finding like a way to, to show that you're busy, that you're doing things, that your social presence doesn't lag behind, but without, you know, getting slapped with a lawsuit for killing your NDA. <laughs> but then I guess if you're a, if you're a brand doing, like if you're a brand doing content on all these social channels, you know, you might not have the spend to do a big blow it out shoot every month for your editorial calendar. Mm -hmm. So I guess when you're, this is a, this will be an interesting question. Like when you are working with your clients that may be working with constrained budgets, mm -hmm. you know, where they have an editorial calendar where they want to be able to engage with the audience and have a flow of content always coming at their audience. Mm -hmm. um, how do you counsel them in having that content created when you don't have a lot to spend? Mm -hmm. And then other end of that being as photographers or as creative folks, how do we better consult with clients that we know have that as a challenge or as an obstacle? Mm -hmm. Because like the fact of the matter is like, like companies will always need content. Mm -hmm. So how can we better our services or better that, that pitch to work with constrained budgets or, you know, all that knowing that they have a flow of things they need to make. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think being really mindful about more evergreen content. So if you're on a photo shoot, being really thoughtful about more like generic posts that you could add or photos that you could add that they could use as posts during a dry spell or a more off season would be really helpful. I hate to use the word stock photos, but like that's the idea, like something that you could use at any time. No, I think so. I mean, I because I, I think that we've all fallen victim to seeing brands that put out like you see this, especially with smaller brands where they, they use stock imagery almost mm -hmm. exclusively. And it's the understanding that, you know, stock photos are, they have a place in our industry, right? Especially if you're a person that sells stock, but, you know, they have a place for, sometimes they solve the problem. If you have to solve for X and you don't have a lot of budget, a stock photo might do that. Mm -hmm. But if you're a brand trying to build equity with a, with a audience and all you hit them with is, is pre-baked content we found off of iStock, yeah. then that doesn't really push your brand persona in terms of an authentic mm -hmm. entity, right? It's just like, oh, well, they bought something for 10 bucks right. and they're just going to slap their, their their jargon on it. So I guess, you know, 
the idea of creating evergreen content when you're engaged with these mm -hmm. brands as the photographer, I mean, it helps get a little bit of mileage yeah. out of the, the money that they give you to do that work. Um, and I mean, I don't know, maybe it even creates a case for, for re-engaging that same brand on a consistent mm -hmm. timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, once a month, we're going to, we're going to engage with the brand and we're going to do, and this is to David, like David, you do the social work for a couple brands where you have regular content creation mm -hmm. days, correct? Yeah. And I mean, how often are the, and to those things, are you going in with like, I know obviously there's an editorial calendar, but then how often is it just, Hey, shoot around for a little bit. Uh, at this point, never, we come in with a, with a deck of exactly what we're going to shoot and we adhere to it because we only have a day to create, you know, let's say 14 images. And to do that in 10 hours is sometimes really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, like that that's a lot of images to get through. But we're always trying to maximize our, our time as well. And, and I think what, what usually ends up happening now is that while we're shooting March and as we're trying to figure something out, we'll be like, we hit a mistake that looks good and we're like, mm, put that one in the basket for April, maybe different product. We'll figure out how to rearrange it. And like, but that would be cool. Or, mm -hmm. you know, um, obviously we're always keeping our eyes on what other people are doing and trying to figure out how to interpret that into the brand that we might be working with and stealing like a pro, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, like a true artist steals, you know, I think that's important at this point is to see what the other brands are doing and take what they're doing and figure out a way to make it work for your brand. So it, politely borrowing is kind of what I like to say, but <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's a tough game at this point because it is so big and it's so fast. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing is it's it's the speed that gets me, that cripples me and makes me fall to the ground in the fetal position usually. Like when I see the speed that some of my counterparts are churning out Instagram content, I'm like, what the, f oh my God, like I am so slow and stupid. Mm-hmm. I get bogged down from that. And I can only imagine that as a bigger brand, because not many people actually look at what I do, but as a brand where people are looking, that pressure must be insane sometimes, <laughs> especially when you factor it in with budget. Like, at least for me, like, I could walk outside and go take pictures of people mm -hmm. and create content. Like, I don't have to pay someone to do that. You know, I can only imagine that for a brand that has to pay money to find someone to do that. That must be daunting sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, and how do you overcome that in a small business? How do you? How do you broach that with like, okay, so you need to take, you need to find $5,000 a year. How, how do you get to that point where that becomes like part of your business? This leads me to a question like Katie. So like, it sounds to me that, you know, with the clients that you engage in, the clients that you help do work for, there is more or less a tipping point at which a professional is needed to help manage their, their marketing and their social efforts. I guess if I'm a business owner and I'm making widgets and I want more butts in the seats or I want more people to come into the door, at, at what point does it make sense for me to say, okay, I need, I need a Katie in, in my mm -hmm. business plan? Mm -hmm. I think there usually comes a time in a business owner's business that they look up and they're, they realize that to get more people through the door, they need to do either social, email, better website, whatever that piece is, but they're good at their business. If they're a donut shop, they're really good at making donuts. They don't have time to learn email marketing or social media or keep up with the algorithm and then look at their reporting and figure out which wor what worked and what didn't. So I think that's when people look for someone like me to be super obsessive compulsive about What's working? What's the voice? And really manic about, oh, that photo doesn't fit with the brand and our personality. And just someone to really keep a OCD watchful eye on the brand so that they can focus on what they are good at. That makes sense. I mean, because I think that, you know, you and I have talked before and there have been instances where, you know, if you're if you're the business person doing doing the widget making, you're making the donuts, you don't have time to be a tastemaker for what sells donuts on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the, the time to be read up on how to optimize your, your website for SEO content for mm -hmm. donut selling. Absolutely. So I guess at that point, I mean, I guess, is there, when you, when you typically engage clients, I mean, are you, are there ever any instances where some client wants to just tackle one avenue of that? Or is it one where you have to have a multifaceted approach? I think it's good to always think about the whole picture, the whole marketing strategy from how do people find your business to how do you close whatever sale it is, whether it's 
scheduling appointment or selling a donut. Um, but then if, if a client just only wants help with one piece of it, if they really just want an email campaign or they really just want a social media, then we can definitely do a a la carte deal. But I think being thoughtful about the whole process is extremely valuable. Additional question. Uh, is it a forever thing? If I, if I find that I take better pictures than I do curate my Twitter and I decide to call someone like you, mm-hmm. am I stuck with you forever? You don't <laughs> like, have to is be. It, or, or, or can you teach me? Is your goal to push your client in the right direction and eventually get them out the door? Or, or you, is it better for you to hold on? I prefer to teach people how to do it well because at the end of the day, you are your brand. I can learn it and I can mimic your voice and I can figure all those details out, but you're the one doing the actual work. So what I really love to do is to come in and create like a brand guide. And like we talked about the personality and the voice and tone and what the photo should look like and the editorial calendar. Um, And then I'll give like a template of what you should be looking at for your reporting at the end of each month and then just give you the tools to do it yourself. So, I mean, ideally we would sign on for like three to six months. We would kind of get everything on track, see what's working, and then I would let you leave the nest, little baby bird. (laughs) That's cool though. It's cool that it's, I I think a lot of people get scared that if they hire, uh, especially with PR, Mm -hmm. they hire a PR firm that, they're always going to need a PR firm. And I think that I think that what people need to understand is that it doesn't have to be 365 days a year. It might just be like, hey, I need help for this period with this product that I'm doing. But then you might take over for six months and be okay. And then when you launch something new or when you want to try something new, you can go back to somebody mm-hmm. as yourself. And you know what I mean? And, and you already have that relationship with them. But it doesn't have to be a, a you know forever retainer. Right. I think that's incredibly interesting. I mean, to, to talk about the way that those engagements happen, that they don't have to be fully set in stone. So I guess let's just let's just leave it at what are three things that people on the business end, the business owner end, keep in mind when navigating social strategy? And then what are the three things that maybe creatives need to think about with that same with the same mindset with social strategy, how they market themselves, and how they appeal to those clients that they're working for. But don't give it all away. (laughs) I was trying to help you guys out, Office Hours family. I think as business owners, you have to know who you're talking to and who your ideal buyer persona is. So it is good to know who your current audience is, but also know where you want to go. So if you want to shoot pet photos... They may not be looking at your accounts now, but keep them in mind when you are creating content. The second thing I would say is have a plan. Have a, if you don't want to go to the effort of making an editorial calendar, at least know the themes of the posts that you have. So if you want to do behind the scenes about me and then maybe two types of jobs that you want to attract and do then post those four things throughout the month and know how you want to talk about those. And then the third piece I would say is your analytics. Make sure you're looking at it at least once a month to see who is looking now and what content is driving engagement or website clicks or whatever your goal was at the beginning of the month. And then use that to inform what you do next month. And I think as content creators, keeping those things in mind as you're creating content I know it's not always fun to hear that you need to stick with a brand's guidelines, but also just know that they're not trying to cramp your style. They're just trying to create a cohesive brand. You're smart. You're very smart. <laughs> I always thought that Ashton just yelled out a name at the end of every episode. I didn't realize it was an actual person and that it was a smart person. <laughs> and I've gotten, I feel like I've got a lot to work on after talking to you. Aww. But I feel like my takeaway from everything you said, I'm going to sum it up, ready? Is that there needs to be a plan. There needs to be an end goal. Mm-hmm. It's not just, I'm going to post a bunch of pictures. It's what, by posting those pictures, what do you want to happen? Absolutely. 
Yeah, so I've got a lot to do now. I've got a lot to think about. Well, I mean, I'm the guy that has like literally no cohesion in his social re- outreach. So I know that's why I keep you around in my life, so I feel better about my lack of cohesion because oh, you're you just one do, step underneath me. You can't do any worse than me. I'm, I'm as bad as they come. Like Katie wouldn't even take me on as a client. She's like, you're beyond help. Oh wow, it's like that. Um, we got like two seconds left. Let me real quick. I'm going to pitch you a camera and then, uh, and then, right. Yeah, let's do it. Katie, you're on, a, you're on with the, the camera. T- Ready? Go, here you go. It's a Canon AE one program film. <laughs> what? It's funny because like Katie, you actually, uh, so the spoilers, Katie and I actually went to college together mm-hmm. once upon a time in a, in a former life. Um, did you, you took film, you took the film photography class. Did you No, I did not. And neither did I. Okay. never mind. And I don't think I took a photography class. I just winged it. That's what we do. I'm very good. That's what exactly nice. what we do. She's like a professional photographer. We're all, we're all <laughs> hacks. <laughs> it's got one roll of film. So if you learned on an AE1 program, then you garbage camera. Wow. There we go. We've ruined it for you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This was episode eight of Office Hours. A special thank you to Katie Lantuck of KOPR for walking us through uh, the jungle of media, social media marketing strategy, and all things uh, social. So thanks for listening. It's been a good one. Uh, If you like this podcast, share it with a friend and have them share it with a friend because sharing is caring. Yep. This podcast is produced by my buddy David at the Tannery Studio in Stanhope, New Jersey, and produced by Katie Lantuck of KOPR and myself, Ashton Staniszewski. You can get at us through social. So we're going to use some of the stuff we learned today. Um, at David A. Patino everywhere. Ashton Stan, that's on the IG. And Katie Lantuck, also on the IG. Mm-hmm. You can also Google KOPR and give Katie a shout if you have questions she's willing to share some of that with you. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys in the next one. Thanks. Peace. Bye.